Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the beautiful weather uh, that you have given to us today. We thank you for giving us your, uh, the Lord's house, for entrusting this to us. We pray that we would continue to be good stewards of it, as well as the ministry center property, and use it all for your glory. Thank you for giving us your son, for paying the price for our sin that we had no hope of paying, to, to adopt us into your family, to give us our eternal hope, the seal of the Holy Spirit, and each other as the body of Christ under your headship. We have so much to be thankful for. And all of this is found in, and is just another reason, uh, one more thing to be thankful for, in your word. We thank you for your timeless word. We can always stand surely and firmly on it, no matter what the culture says or society says or how things change or what people think about or what their opinion is. That does not change what the truth is. We thank you that your word never changes. You never change. We can always anchor our souls into you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an article published in Reader's Digest about six years ago entitled, 20 Hilarious DIY Disasters You'll Be Glad Didn't Happen to You. You can imagine some of the stories included in that article. Here are a couple of my favorite ones that readers submitted. Our first house was a two-story frame home. A 12-foot hallway leading to the dining room seemed to serve no purpose, so we decided to remove the wall and expand the size of the living room by almost four feet. After assuring my wife that I could finish the project over a long weekend, I started demoing the lath and plaster wall. By bedtime, I had the wall down and most of the debris bagged and stacked. I climbed the stairs to our bedroom, which was directly above the living room, and went to sleep. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. Okay. The following morning, I awoke to a bowl-shaped bedroom floor. I stepped gingerly across it, ran down the stairs, and discovered that the living room ceiling had sagged six inches during the night. Turns out I had removed a load-bearing wall. As we sped to the rental yard to pick up jacks, I sheepishly told my wife that I might need more than three days to finish. <laughs> the second submitted story was this. My old riding mower works fine, except for a weak battery that needs an occasional jump start. One fine day, as I was riding it across the lawn, I had to shut it down to take a phone call. When I tried to start it up again, uh, the engine wouldn't turn over. Luckily, it had died near the street, so I pulled my car up next to the mower, connected the jumper cables, and waited a few minutes. Standing next to the mower, I pressed my foot down on the brake, turned the key, and sure enough, the engine started right up. I then took my foot off the brake and watched in horror as the mower sped away, ripping the ends of the jumper cables off as it went. I had forgotten to put the transmission in neutral. <laughs> Thankfully, I was able to hop on and stop it before I got too far, but I got a hearty round of applause from my neighbors who appreciated the clown show. <laughs> now, I hope I didn't just give our guys who mow over at the ranch house property any ideas. 
with that last one. I'm sure we all have our own stories of trying to fix something or build something and having an idea and plan of how the project should go and then finding it go in a co completely different and usually not ideal direction. I think the greatest delusion that we men fool ourselves with every single time we start a home project is, right guys, this isn't going to be a big deal, or this shouldn't take a lot of time. We start out with a picture in our mind of how a project should go, but there's always, always, always a surprise, right? In other words, our idea of how something should go does not line up with the actual reality of the situation. Now keep that point in mind, the, my point in this opening illustration in your mind. We'll come back to it later on. As Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room, immediately following their last observance of the Passover meal together, before Jesus' imminent crucifixion, and they're making their way through the streets of Jerusalem at night, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is giving them the words recorded for us in chapters 15 through 17. Jesus started out chapter 15 by talking about himself as the true vine. And those of us who've repented of our sin and made him the savior from that sin and king over the rest of our lives as the branches that bear fruit, who God the Father as the vine dresser prunes to grow even more and better fruit. Those branches who think they're alive and good with God <clears throat> but never repented and never committed their lives to Jesus, have been dead this whole time and only have been thrown into the lake of fire to look forward to. Those of us who are alive and are bearing uh, fruit in conformity to the true vine and commandments for righteous living found in his word are to abide or remain or derive the spiritual sustenance we were created to survive on from the life and power of the word of God and prayer. As Jesus says in the preceding verses to this morning's passage, the only way God bears fruit in us is if we're feeding ourselves the spiritual nutrients needed to bear fruit from his word on a daily basis. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Remember, Jesus is the true vine and the father is the vine dresser. We are merely the branches who are to remain connected to and deriving our spiritual nutrients from the vine. God the Father is the one who expects us to bear much fruit and prunes us in order to do so. God the Holy Spirit is the one growing those fruits of the Spirit in us through our connection to the true vine and only bearing fruit in conformity to what that true vine dictates. Here's the movement and the flow of this passage. Jesus says in verse 4 of John 15, Abide or remain in me and I in you. That is, remaining in his word and showing our love for him by keeping his commandments and bearing the fruit he wants us to bear and not what sounds good to us. In verse 6, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide or remain in me, that is, anyone 
who does not remain in his word and does not seek to keep his commandments, no matter how good of a person they think they are, are chopped off, dried up, and ultimately cast into the fire of torment for eternity. And then in verse 7 of this morning's passage, Jesus turns back to what he's already brought up in verses 4 and 5 already, directing these words to those who are abiding and remaining in him and his word. So, if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be picking back up in verse 7. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 15, verse 7. Or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. We read this. Uh, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you are one of those that verses 4 through 5 describe, and you are absorbing the spiritual nutrients you need from God's word to not only survive in this life, but to thrive in this life, and the Holy Spirit is using those absorbed nutrients to transform your mind and your entire worldview and growing his fruits in you, as you're pruned by God the Father, Jesus promises something else will happen as a result of that. What does he say in verse 7? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, to truly understand what Jesus is saying here and be able to frame it accurately, we need to jump forward to the verse immediately following that verse, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In the immediate context, verse 8 is directly connected to verse 7 and really the overall message of chapter 15 as a whole. In fact, biblically, verse 8 is more of the key verse here. And verse 7 is the one hinged upon and completely reliant upon verse 8. So like I said just a second ago, let's focus on verse 8, and that will give us the accurate understanding of what Jesus is saying in verse 7. Verse 8 is, in a very real way, the summary and concluding verse of all Jesus has said up to that point in chapter 15 so far. Jesus started off this message in verse 1 by point-blank declaring that he's the true vine and God the Father is the vine dresser. As such, when we covered that verse and saw it as fulfillment of Old Testament passages that talked about how Israel was supposed to be the choice vine of God, the vine dresser, and he expected them to grow the fruit of righteousness and justice. But instead, Israel only grew fruits of idolatry and wickedness and exploitation trading their status of being the light to the nations, that's what God expected of them, to becoming just as dark as they were, the other nations were, in their paganism. As much as they failed time and time again, Jesus is the fulfillment of the choice vine from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and thus is the true vine, as he attributed to himself in verse 1. Instead of identifying with Israel and being Jewish, one now needed to identify with and be connected to and remain in the true vine. 
The expectation of the vine dresser, however, never changed and remained the same. His expectation and purpose of every branch that's actually connected to the true vine is for them to bear fruit. We already looked at and covered that a large part, covered a large part of that last week, and that the pruning process in our lives and how God the Father is actively at work pruning off things out of our lives that are not pleasing to Him, or we think are good, but they really just sap time, strength, and resources away from what God really wants us to be doing and seeking His kingdom above all else. When you think about caring for grape vines, these are the major aspects about their care in order, in order to promote the growth of many and healthy grapes. Pruning is a major part of that care. Making sure the branches are getting the necessary and required nutrients is another major part of that care, which we covered extensively last week and we've already been referencing so far in this message. And all of that care brings with it the expectation of good fruit as a result. You cannot just think, oh, I said a prayer once in my life and I'm just going to coast through the rest of my life and think I'm perfectly fine with God. Because what has Jesus already said? If you're not bearing fruit, you're actually one of those dead branches. The expectation never changed. The expectation of God the Father, the vine dresser, is that those branches that are alive and well and remain in the true vine are to bear much and better fruit. And a major part of that is the pruning process. And the other major part of that is them getting the nutrients they need. When the branches of the true vine bear much and good fruit, the vine dresser is glorified for all the work He's put into promoting the growth of those branches. His vineyard is praised for being successful and productive, which is really praise directed towards him for all that he's been doing to care for and promote its growth and success. Who is the one the glory, praise, attention, and focus is placed on? Not the branches. The branches are simply responding to the vine dresser's care and his pruning and his nurturing. No. The praise and the glory and the attention and the focus is placed on the skill and hard work of the vine dresser. You haven't picked up on it yet. It's the exact same for us. The glory, praise, attention, and focus is not to be anywhere near us. In any way, the glory, praise, attention, and focus is not placed on us for simply absorbing nutrients and simply bearing the fruit. The Holy Spirit is actually growing in us. The glory, praise, attention, and focus is placed on all three members of the Trinity and the role each one plays in growing those fruits in us. Remember from last week, the command in the preceding verses is not for us to bear the fruit. That's not what the command is. The command for us is simply to remain in the true vine and to absorb the nutrients we need to survive from his word and communing with him in prayer. All right. 
Here's where we come back to our opening illustration. I know I'm expecting a lot of you, but who remembers the point of our opening illustration? I'll, I'll be nice to you and I'll remind you of it. It was in connection with having an idea of how something should go, but that usually does not line up with actual reality. Everybody with me again? All right. We as human beings love to rip verse 7 out of the context it's inextricably written in. So we read the second half of verse 7 and we think, wow, you mean I can ask whatever I wish from God and it should just happen? Some of you are chuckling. All right. And we like to think that what that means is that we're given a blank check or to the younger generation, someone's Venmo login to... <laughs> to ask God for whatever comes across our mind, and we should just expect him to make good on it. Isn't that the mentality of how a lot of people walking around this world view God? God should just bless me. I asked God for a new car or a new job or someone good to marry or a better living situation, and he didn't give me what I asked for, so we're not on good terms right now. Or the one we hear all the time, I pleaded with God to heal or save my loved one who was on death's door, but he didn't. So I don't even believe he exists anymore. If you merely rip verse 7 out of its context, a case could maybe be made for not being happy with God, for not making good on his promise. We have an idea of how prayer should work or what we can be asking for and expect to see happen, but that does not actually line up with actual reality. What is the actual reality? What we just see concluded in verse 8. That the glory, praise, attention, and focus of what happens with us as the mere branches is entirely on God and not on us in any way. We exist as branches in the first place and bear fruit at all, much less much fruit. Why? Verse 8, to give glory to God. It has nothing to do with us or what we want out of our lives. It has everything and all to do with God's purpose, God's goal, and God's glory. As such, like I said earlier, verse 8 is the key verse. And verse 7 is completely hinged upon and reliant upon verse 8. So let's keep putting it all together. We've already been establishing over the past few weeks, including today, that along with everything about us and our lives, it all comes back to the sovereignty of God. All of it. Everything that has to do with our lives and, and who we are and God's salvation, it all comes back to the sovereignty of God. 
God is the one who chose us to have his grace upon to lead to us putting our faith in God the Son's salvation for us. As such, God is the one who grafts us onto his tree of faith and Jesus as the true vine. Both God the Father and God the Son are the ones who put God the Holy Spirit into our hearts to start changing us, transforming us from conformity with the world into conformity of the image of God the Son and growing His fruits of the Spirit in us. It's God's Word in connection and prayer with Him that is our only source of spiritual nutrition, life, and power. God the Father is the vine dresser who prunes things he determines needs to be pruned out of our lives. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us and preserves us for the heavenly home. God the Son is currently preparing for us in God the Father's household. Do you see all of that now? Everything we are Everything we have, absolutely, 100%, we owe to God and God alone. And everything in our lives, in the world we live in, is determined and directed by God's sovereign plan or will. As such, as we've been seeing over the past few weeks, again, including today, our redeemed lives' purpose and goal is to be brought into conformity with the image and likeness of Jesus. Not the Jesus we make up in our minds, or sounds good to us, or is palatable to our surrounding culture, but the Jesus as clearly already revealed and explained in God's Word. And so, the Holy Spirit, as he's growing this fruit in us, is also, at the exact same time, transforming our minds and the whole way we look at our lives and the world we live in. Like we, again, referenced last week, but as also directly pertains to today's message, do not be conformed to this world. That is a command. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which we know is only accomplished through the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of that? So that you may prove what the will of God is. Not whatever you want. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is how that verse directly connects to today's message. The Holy Spirit transforms our mind by renewing it through God's word so that we may know what the will of God is. The goal of the will of God for our individual lives is this. The goal of the will of God for our individual lives is this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is the goal of the will of God for our individual lives, and then collectively as the life of this church. 
The book of Galatians stresses how crucial walking according to the Spirit and not according to our flesh is to our lives. Walking according to the Spirit with the goal of measuring up to the standard of the fullness of Christ means being as in tune with God's Word and the Holy Spirit's revelation of it to our understanding and application of it, along with the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. And that goes hand in hand with absorbing as much of the nutrients of God's Word on a daily basis as possible, as we talked about last week. When we seek to know and spiritually understand God's Word and surrender to and listen to the Holy Spirit's leading and empowerment to keep its commandments, as Jesus stated over and over again, if you love me, keep my commandments, and the Holy Spirit transforms and renews our minds, we start thinking and processing everything in line with what God's will is. That transformation and renewal of our minds, bringing our thoughts, understanding, and views in line with God's will, guess what? Then directly affects our prayers. Our prayers become more focused on God's glory, not on what we necessarily want. And therefore, they become more and more in line with God's will. Our prayers turn from being self-focused and self-promoting to complete surrender to what will bring God the most glory. And that's another fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of faithfulness. Faithfulness to God and faithfulness to God's will and not our own. It's been said before that prayer does not change God's mind since he already has his plan. What prayer does is that it changes our minds. Praying according to God's will means complete surrender to his will, not holding anything back from his sovereignty. So again, let's put it all together. When we're seeking to abide or remain in Jesus through his word and spiritually connecting with him in prayer, opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, growing his fruit in us, and transforming our minds to see and know what the will of God is, then we will pray according to and in complete surrender to that will. When we pray with that renewed mindset, then whatever we pray for, we will see happen because it's in line with God's will anyway. Do you see how it all connects? And it will come to pass in God's timing according to His will. So while it may be obvious already, it's not that whatever we want and pray for, we should expect to see happen. 
It's whatever we pray for that's in line with God's will and in glory to Him that will be done for us. And remember, it's whatever we pray for that's in line with God's will, the goal of which is to grow us to the spiritual maturity of the fullness of Christ. And guess what, brothers and sisters? As hard as this is to hear, that is very often going to involve suffering and trials. Because as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, suffering and trials is exactly what God uses to grow his fruit in us. Are the things you've been praying about for a long time actually in line with God's will? Is the positive answer of them what will grow more fruit in you? Is the seemingly lack of answer of them growing more fruit in actuality in your life as you rely more and more on him, his strength, his timing? Are the seemingly unanswered prayers leading you to seek God even more and cling even harder to him in forsaking of the world? Remember what God's goal is for us, to become spiritually mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You may not have what you are praying for yet, because God's still growing you with this. He's still achieving his goal with this. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, God, his will, and his timing are perfect. And he promises, Romans 8, that he works all things out for what? Good. It may not be our definition of good, but it's his definition of good, which is always better than our definition of good. And he always knows better than we do what we need. We exist and have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus for God's glory and his desires, not the other way around. And the goal of his will for us as individuals is always, 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 always to grow and develop us into the spiritual maturity of the fullness of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus references at the end of verse 8 when he says that when we remain in him, thereby bearing much fruit and bringing glory to God with our lives, we prove to ourselves and we prove to a watching and unbelieving world that we're truly Jesus' disciples. So again, like we talked about last week, the command is not to bear fruit. That is not what the command is. But by extension to today's verses, to pray well. The and by extent, the, the command is not to pray well. 
The command is to remain in Jesus. So similar to last week, the command is not to bear fruit. The command is not to pray well. You guys better pray well. That's not what the command is. The command is to remain in Jesus. The command is to absorb his word and surrender ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's transformation of our minds as much as possible on a daily basis. That transformation then will go hand in hand with a development of a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading according to God's word and we gain a better understanding of God's will. That better understanding of God's will then changes our prayers to ones in line with God's will, making them more effective with God's will. And all of that is done in direct connection to God growing his fruit in our hearts, minds, and lives to the glory of his name. Not so coincidentally, we see the exact same message given by Jesus when he instructs us on the mindset we should have as we pray to our Heavenly Father. And he says, pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you do not lead us into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. It's all focused on God and it's all to give him the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we delved into your word and we see how we ought to pray, and it is all to the glory of your name, and it is all to be in accordance with your will, and it's all to be in accordance with you growing fruit in us, and you transforming our minds, and you growing us to the full stature of the measure of Christ. I pray that all of our prayer lives, all of our prayers would be a little bit different from this point forward, a little bit less focused, self-focused, and a little bit more focused on bringing you glory with our lives. I pray that we would surrender everything, the things that we hold so dear, surrender them all to your sovereignty and your will and praying according to that, that you would receive the most glory you can and you would grow the most fruit that you can grow in us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.